Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. All right. What's going on this week, Rick? Not a whole lot. I am. I feel like the roles have reversed week over week because I'm the one who just woke up from a nap today. I am too, let's be fair. But... So you were doing an all-nighter again, because I feel like last week when we talked, you said you stayed up until like 4 a.m. or something like that. So are you just working a lot? Yes, I'm working a lot. So I've had two. It's not sustainable at all. I want to be very clear about that. And I'm no. I'm in no way suggesting that this is a good thing. It's just I think I'm embracing working when I feel the motivation to right now and sleeping when I don't. Mm-hmm. Um and of course, you, it's funny how forcing functions work. You can spend a year kind of fiddling around, but then once a once a time starts to crunch and your procrastination gets eliminated, it's amazing how much more productive you are. So, um, anyway, I I've had a couple. I've I've got another one coming tonight, probably. Um, so, but we'll we'll see how that goes. What what specifically were you up all night working on? Last night, um, so I don't know if you recall from last week, but I was pretty concerned about a lot of the automations, the manual stuff that I have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, we launched the website on Monday uh, officially, meaning it was fin- it, it was what I would call completed. Um, last episode, um, there were pages that were not finished, um, so those have been done. I think that was released either Sunday or Monday, and you know. Part of, part of the reason I'm I decided to go ahead and do the automation deal with some of the automations I was concerned about was that I was already in Webflow and in the development mindset from the website, and I figured, well, while I'm already got the context here and I'm focused on this, let's take a shot at this. And of course, once I did that, I realized first of all how hard it was going to be, but second of all, um, I sort of got going on it. And once you start a project like that it's really hard to pull away from because pretty much if you stop halfway, you have to start over again when you come back to it. So I basically redid the entire database, restructured the whole thing, simplified a lot of the fields. Um, I now have cleaned up all of the bad data. There were a lot of, uh, there are probably 60 test accounts that I cleaned up. Uh, A lot of policy information that was not real. And, um, now, uh, so I cleaned up the database, and then once I did that, uh, I now I've automated the sign up, pro- the onboarding process. So when someone onboards, they get an email from me as soon as they create an account saying thanks for signing up. Um, when they add their policy, it automatically goes to their dashboard and uh, as a pending insurance card um, and queues up in a uh, in a in the database uh, in a, in a format in a way that I can uh, automate the verification process in the future. Um, it emails them when they add their policy automatically, um, saying thank you, which is a big deal. Um, and uh, I also have structured it so that uh, th- there actually are a finite number of plans in Utah. So if you go to if there, there's five, let's call it five health insurance companies. Each health insurance company has anywhere from five to 15 different plans. And then you pick a plan, What you pick one of those plans from those carriers. So let's just call it 50 to 100 iterations of these 
of these different things called plans, you get a policy from one of those plans that is specific to your age, your zip code, your gender, and your your household size. And uh, so now the way I've got it built is it'll start building a database of all the plans that we have um, so we can report on um, you know, this, for example, Select Health is the big individual health insurance company in, in Utah. Across all of our Select Health policy holders, we can see which plans they're picking and automate a lot of the um, tool tool links like coverage summaries and stuff like that. Wow. So it sounds like a, a whole lot of progress since last week. Yes. And I would say that the, the big, like if I had to summarize it, I'm, not, I'm no longer worried about I don't get to, I, I no longer am going to have to like do manual work when someone signs up or when someone adds a policy. It's now going to be something I look forward to. Um, and I'm not, I, at this point, I'm no longer, I had a worry last week that if open enrollment started today, that I would crash in terms of uh, doing all the manual work. And now I'm, I'm not worried about that anymore. That's awesome. One thing I want to highlight here is, you kind of said like you got on a roll and you kept going and it's an incredible feeling that I think like many people don't get very often. Like I, I, it doesn't feel like you've been on a roll like this maybe ever since we've been doing the podcast. Is that right? Or has it, have you just not been doing all nighters? This is the, um, I mean this, I think, you know, me from, from early Zane benefits days and you know what I, the, the output I'm capable of when I get, excited about something. This is the first time I felt that since I left people keep. Yeah. So two years, it seems that way. And one thing I want to highlight is it kind of doesn't matter what you're working on. If you're that productive, like we could sit here and talk about what's the most important thing for you to be doing, but being hyper productive in the zone on anything, it it just doesn't matter. You're so much more productive than anything else. You just got to go with the momentum. I think. I, 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 you set me free on that a few months ago. Uh, and I've embraced that. It's, uh, and yeah, I think you're right. I can't argue with you. I, I think that'll change. I think that changes when you have obligations with clients. Mm -hmm. Like right now I can, I could have, I I was able to take a nap during the day today to, to stay health, maintain my personal health. You know, the last thing I want to do is get sick from, from working too much. Um, but, but, uh, if I had clients calls back, you know, scheduled all day, there's no way I could do the all nighter thing. And so mm-hmm. it's, uh, there's definitely like this window that you have as a founder where this is possible, at least in a business like mine, maybe this is the advantage of a SaaS business. I'm starting to realize, but, uh, that you got to take advantage of. Like, and I, I think, um, I wish, I guess I wish I had taken some more advantage of this in hindsight, but I'm here now and, uh, it feels really, it feels really, really good to be this excited about something and to have the motivation to like power through, you know, tw- twelve hours of work um, in a sitting. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. There's this whole debate going on about like, should you work more than forty hours a week and and stuff like that. And one of the things people keep saying on the on the side of no, you shouldn't, is you can't actually be productive for maybe even forty is too many. And I mostly think that's true. But when you just get in that weird, when you get locked in like you are right now, I've had weeks where I'll, I'll have 100 productive hours in one week. And it doesn't happen often and it's not sustainable. But when it happens, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And I think yeah, that I love that you said that. It's like 
100 hour work productive work weeks week over week are not sustainable um my goal i have a, a hard stop at 2 30 p.m friday we're leaving for a wedding and i'm basically gonna burn the burn the candles at both ends until that and then i'm gonna have all weekend to recover and not work but mm-hmm. if you don't so i've got a scheduled sort of recovery time for this if you don't you gotta have that or you're, you will just make yourself sick yeah yeah or absolutely. be a miserable human to be around <laughs> Which is what most uh, startup entrepreneurs go with, I think. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, related to that, I, I did a high school uh, alumni panel yesterday. Um, I went to a school and a, a day school in in Charlotte, North Carolina for high school. Um, and it was a life-changing experience. I was in a small town public school system prior to that and had the opportunity to move to Charlotte to live with my father. They put me in private school and it was, it was just an awesome experience. So I have a lot of... Uh, I don't know what the right word is, love for my experience. And uh, very, I would say that, you know, my mom reminded me that I said this yesterday, but I would say that if someone from the Providence Day, which is the name of the school, alumni network reaches out to me on the same day that a Duke alumni reaches out to me, and I don't know either of them, I'm going to talk to the high school alumni first. I just have, I, I, I would prioritize that person because they went to that high school over the person who went to Duke. I can't explain why. Um, but it's just, I really do have a love. So, you know, I got invited to participate in this entrepreneurial entrepreneur panel, um, that's for existing students, uh, parents and, um, alumni of the school. And so it was really fun. There were four entrepreneurs and, uh, I, uh, had a really good time just talking about some of the philosophies that, that, um, we talk about here at start to last. And it's interesting because when you get on a panel like that, um, you, you start to last as a unique mindset. Yeah. Is everyone else talking about raising money and exiting and stuff like that? And I, and I, not like, not in a bad way. I think very, very, like very, it was all really, the people on the panel were awesome. They were really good at, mm-hmm. you know, sharing, like not being dominant in their views, but there was this overarching sort of theme of to be an entrepreneur, you've got to go hard. You got to, you know, you got to have, you know, I think that's probably the biggest statement I made that was different than everyone else was, yeah, like you don't have you don't have to be like super confident to be an entrepreneur. You just have to start small and make it safe to fail. Um, even if it's a thirty minute side project once a week, start there, get your confidence, and iterate from there. You don't have to to be an entrepreneur. You don't have to be this you know you know this really really confident person. Hmm. And uh, so that that so I I think. Um, I felt the start to last influence in that panel and I was <laughs> nice. proud of it. Cool. Do you think high schoolers are receptive to hearing about entrepreneurship for the most part? No. Okay. Like, I guess let me rephrase that. Are, uh, if every high school had a panel with people like you, do you think it would like impact people? Yeah. You think so? Yeah. I, it related to that, um, I just, I'm, I got invited to teach a class at the high school for social entrepreneurship. It's a one day class for 30 minutes. I told, I said no, because I just don't have time to prepare the material. But it, that I think would be hugely impactful is to have, I think they're like, I think high schoolers who had more, I think it's the same with, with business school, with business school and 
college, but the more, you know, sort of curation of content where it's more interview style, conversational um, type education with people, with real practitioners, I think that's, that's where you learn. I mean, I, the coolest things I did in high school or when I went to someone else's, you know, location and observe them and, or, and, or ask them questions about what they did. Hmm. Yeah. The, the reason I ask is in high school, I, I wasn't interested in any business thing. None of my friends were, I mean, maybe people were interested in what might you major in and then get a PhD in, but like nobody was thinking about their job really. Um, so I think if someone actually in college took a class on entrepreneurship and we had one of the founders of Yahoo, uh, came and talked and looking back on it, I'm like, that's incredible. I, I should have had questions for that guy. And, and I sat there and I was like, oh, this guy's probably rich. And the, the first question after he, uh, gave his little talk was, did you fly private or commercial to get here? That's all anyone cared about. And, and this was ju- juniors and seniors in college at that point. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean, maybe, maybe the presenter has to. Maybe it's important for the presenter to com- put the context around what they're presenting in that situation. I don't know. I feel like if I go in there and talk about like revenue operations and you know profit and loss and uh, cap tables, I'm I'm going to lose some people. But if I talk about you know meaning and what it, what it feels like to, to succeed and self-improvement and, um, learning and, you know, and, and, you know, all the things that all people care about, it it seems like people would, you know, of any age would be pretty interested in that. Yeah, that's fair. What what are you up to this week? So this is week two of my vacation. So I'm, I'm back to normal life on Monday, but, uh, I haven't really been doing much of anything. I'm, um, still kind of moving into my house, but I- I'm at the point where there's a million things to do, but none of it's that important. Like if, if I just stay how things are right now, it's sustainable. It's fine. Um, so I'm, you know, I don't know, just kind of hanging out. <laughs> are you still on vacation technically? Yes. Yeah. Today and tomorrow we were recording this on a Thursday, so I'll, I'll be, I'm still like keeping up on email and checking slack and stuff but i have I've, I've been pretty good about i really haven't done any work uh this whole time that's terrific well wh- i mean when you when you make that comment is that more of a personal life comment or is that a work comment uh me, that i've been good about it like what makes that good well I, yeah i guess you're just feeling good like nothing's important is that is that a statement on like your personal priorities or is that is that a statement on less annoying as well. Uh, well, lots of, lots of stuff's maybe I'm not understanding the question, but lots of stuff's going on at less annoying and it's been really fun watching it happen. Um, and kind of staying out of it. So like Alex, the biz dev guy is working on basically closing the biggest customer we've ever had. And it's there, it's looking like they're going to run a pilot program and just to the pilot they're running will make them the biggest account we've ever had. And that's, pretty close to a done deal it sounds like so that's cool we shipped a major feature yesterday this is one i talked about a couple of weeks ago in, in anticipation of it but custom file fields um yeah like uh, it's been 
I, I have personally tried to like take this time to unwind and relax, but there's lots of stuff going on at the business for sure. Cool. So, um, what are you, uh, are you just, are you just relaxing around the house? Just chilling? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of the, you know, the saying, what is it? The, uh, the days are long, but the years are short. It's one of these things where actually this time has kind of flown by and there were things I wanted to do, not work things, but like, you know, kind of hobby type of things I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, the, the two weeks is almost over and I haven't really done very much, but I'll just I'll count it as an accomplishment to just take a couple of weeks to unplug and recharge. And then when I restart uh, work on Monday, so Wednesday is the, the six month presentation of the company, which I've referenced earlier. And so I'm immediately going to dive back into that context and say, I got to get this presentation ready to go. I'm trying my best not to like work on it right now, but that's the thing that's kind of on my mind for when I get back. Are you going to, um, do you, do you have any, well, I'm not gonna make you think about it this week. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. I, I really, I'm, I'm interested in, is, it, is the content done? Have you made any changes since the last time we talked about it? I think I know the high level points, but I haven't like, my, my normal approach to this type of thing is I have a Google slides presentation that I have had open for the last six months. Like I created it at, at, right after the last one of these. And as time goes on, if anything worth mentioning happens, I throw it in there. So I've just kind of been doing that up until this point. And then on Monday, when work starts again, I'm going to start turning it into a real hour and a half long presentation. Um, I haven't really done much to it over the last week. No, I've, I've just kind of been noodling around on, you know, there's more. I, I can't. An, an hour and a half sounds like a long time. I can't fit everything in an hour and a half. So, like, what am I going to actually focus on? That's great. Yeah. Um, and this isn't anything I did, but I was looking earlier. Uh, I've kind of been giving updates on this price increase we did back in July. So we are now up to $10.08 average revenue per user. So small numbers, but that comes out to $1,500 MRR just from the price increase so far. So that's kind of neat. What are you going to do with that extra money? I'm embezzling it all. Uh, but that's no, a, it's, it's a, what it's a 5.5 cents no 6.5 cent increase month over month in the air average revenue per user yeah yeah um so and yeah sorry so yeah a month ago we were at ten dollars and 1.5 cents <laughs> uh now we're at 10.8 that difference is 1500 mrr the way I'm looking at this now, and this is a little bit new, like I talked about this a while back that I used to have like a user goal each month. Like I want to add this many users. Now it's a uh, an ARR goal. And so that goal I, is 30,000 new ARR each month. Uh, it's not like that's not blowing the roof off of this thing. That's not huge success. But that's like if we're doing that, we can increase the amount of money we're putting into savings and cover all our normal expenses for the next few years, including giving employees raises and stuff like that. So 30,000 new annual recurring revenue each month. And this has been a, this month's been a good one because our pipeline was terrible last month. And since you know people get a one month free trial, if if free trial signups are really bad last month, you'd expect our ARR growth to be bad this month. It has been bad but from a user count standpoint but because of this increase in average revenue per user we're actually ahead of that 30,000 pace uh for ARR so it's 
you know, people say this all the time in the SaaS world. They're like raise prices and pricing's the highest leverage thing you can do and all this stuff. And mostly I want to fight that instinct, but it is true that, you know, we, we went from having a bad month to a good month just because we're charging people more. Yeah. The, the trick is not to get drunk on, on the price yeah. increase and it's, and you're the last person who's going to do that. Yeah. It's nice. You talk about constraints a lot. If you just do the price increase and say, I'm not even going to think about this again for at least another year or two and possibly another decade. Uh, that's a good way to not, not get drunk on it. I think so. It's, it's not even a, a thing I'm considering. Should we fiddle with pricing even anymore beyond this? But I am so far very happy that we, we did the one price increase. That's great. Great. Congrats on that. <laughs> Thanks. What uh, else? Well, that's, I mean, that's the big thing for me. If we've got time, I want to talk about smart home stuff, but that's got nothing to do with business. So I'll, I'll punt on that and we can talk about your stuff. <laughs> I love smart home stuff. So that's right up my alley. Uh, let's, uh, yeah, let me just get through these last updates and let's spend the rest of the time on smart home stuff. Okay. <laughs> are, are you, I, I'm ready to jump in already. Okay. So before we go to smart home stuff, a couple of things I, I just want to share a couple wins. I uh, had my first employer proposal accepted yesterday. Um, they ended up going requesting monthly pricing uh, to our pricing conversation last year. I started with an annual price of $200 per employee for context, which is roughly $16, $17 a month per employee. That's what it levels out to. They said, hey, can we pay monthly? I said, how does $20 per month sound? They said, great. So $20 per month um, for outsource, basically. Can, can employ- I pause you real quick? Yeah. Sorry. Do you know why they wanted monthly over cash annual? Flow. Was it? It was cash flow. Okay. Yeah. They're cash not like flow. testing you out as far as you know. I think, uh, listen, I think optionality on cancellation and cash flow are probably the two drivers here. The one that they're saying is cash flow. Um, but what I told them, I said, you know, listen, and I'll tell this to any employer client who signs up this year and pays me money to to do this. 100% refund guarantee. You aren't happy? Like, I'll give you the money back. Just mm. tell me that, you know. And the only thing I ask is, is if if you are unhappy, give me like a week to fix it. One week. That's all I ask. And if I can't, like, I'll give you all the money back. So how do you want to pay? I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so, cool. But they but you do need to pay. Like this, it's important for me to to validate that this is a real thing by having you pay for it. And if, if, if the, if the value is not there, we'll refund it. But if the value is there, you're not going to ask for a refund. Yeah. I am all, I think that the idea of offering a refund is great, but there's, I've never asked for a refund for software before, even if I am unhappy with it, there is like, it's kind of an awkward thing to do. So I, I always choose monthly personally, partially for that reason. Yep. Yep. So it's a slight increase in terms of annual revenue if, if someone stays with me. Um, I don't, but, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll I'm gonna take it one client at a time for this. I'm not going to stick. I'm not going to try to prove out pricing. I'm, I'm going to try to get clients and build the product around them um, and have them finance it um, at a reasonable price. And uh, this is, this is number one. So I didn't mention this earlier, but one of the drivers to get all that other stuff done last night, as opposed to doing it more iteratively this week was I've got to build the, the employer benefits product tonight and to ready because they want to onboard tomorrow at 10 a.m. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 
This is like, there are those moments in business where you feel like you're on 24 or one of those shows where like you're typing into a keyboard and a nuke's going to go off if you don't type fast enough. And you've got one of those on your hands. <laughs> yep. So I've got calls through like 6 p.m. tonight and then uh, I'll probably take a break. Maybe watch some basketball. I'm really enjoying the Lakers Nuggets matchup. And then I'm going to work all night and I'm hopefully, but at the end of it, have a employer benefits platform. Uh, that, that people can sign up for. That's so cool. How, how many employees are going to be onboarded tomorrow? Uh, 10. 10. And that's the whole company. It's the whole company. Yep. That's perfect. Yep. How are your other employer leads going? How are my other employer leads going? Let's see, A while I'd... back you said there are like oh. three or five of these. Yeah. Um, one, actually we have a call with tomorrow at... Uh, in the afternoon. So after, right after that onboarding call, I have another call with the original employer benefits proposal. Um, and it's funny that the, it kind of an interesting buying trigger point. So the first time someone that this company found me was when they had just hired a new employee, that employee found like a pal who's in Salt Lake brought, brought one of the owners on the call and they said, this is great. We're going to fix this at the end of the year. Um, and then, so the, the, the interesting thing about this is that the other, the, the other owner in the company who is not in Salt Lake, they're in Indianapolis, um, is trying to hire someone today and they, their health insurance group, health, the guy's like, I can't come work for you because your group health insurance plan is terrible. Um, mm. and my existing plan is better. And so he's like, um, I heard about you. It's time for us to talk. We need to hire this person. Um, can we find a plan for this guy? You know, that that uh, is, is is equivalent to what he has currently that's better than the plan that we currently offer. So it's, you know, because he's trying to hire, he's got a buying opportunity right now. And what's so interesting about this compared to PeopleKeep and Zane Benefits is that we could not help this guy on this one-off problem at Zane Benefits or PeopleKeep because he had to offer, he had to buy the whole benefits platform for Zane Benefits to help the employee. Mm-hmm. What's cool about this is I, we can actually work with him on a micro hiring case get this guy hired and then have that grow across the organization um, into a full benefits client. Um, uh, so it's really, really kind of an interesting growth uh, proof point uh, that, that didn't exist previously. That's so cool. It's it's like the weirdest version of freemium I've ever heard of before, where you could be like, next time you have an employee you really want to hire, I'll help you. And then if you, when you have the second employee you really want to hire, then you have to sign the whole company up. Yeah. Yeah. That's and awesome. Yeah. And uh, so we'll see where it goes. I don't know. Um, I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's going to, at the very least, it's going to be a very interesting sort of observation of a, of a real small business pain point around health insurance when it comes to bringing on talent and, um, Did you say the other founder isn't in Utah, though? Yeah, the guy that I'm talking to tomorrow is in is not in Utah. Is the employee that they're hiring not in Utah? The employee that that they're hiring, I'm not sure where he is. He's either in Utah or in a different state. But there's two aren't states. you limited to only doing this in Utah right now? Um, doing this is is a complicated um, statement. Is more complex than that. So. I'm able to give general health insurance advice to anyone. Um, 
I can't sell or represent or be appointed with insurance companies outside of Utah without a license in the other state. I'm going to go ahead and get a license in Indianapolis. It takes two minutes. Sorry, uh, Indiana, uh, uh, because it takes like two minutes online so that I'm covered there. The The only thing I wouldn't be able to do is if a plan was bought, get commission on the policy because I'm not appointed with the insurance companies. And I can decide to do that later. Um, but the the way I'm looking at this opportunity is, a, is it's an employee benefits opportunity and with employees in Utah that have also have employees in other states. So I'm going to have to, they're going to be paying leg up health to help not just their two employees in Utah, but their employees in the other state as well. Gotcha. And that, that $200 a year or $20 a month makes it worth it to you, even if you can't get that commission. Yes. And then assuming I do get the policies, uh, I can get, I can quickly get appointed now that I'm familiar with the process in the Indianapolis markets um, and earn and start earning a similar fee. But I'm trying to avoid getting distracted with that. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a hard, it's a tough thing. This sounds a lot, uh, there's so much good stuff going on with your business right now. And I was listening to the out of beta podcast uh, earlier this week, and they kind of said their definition for product market fit is, I'm going to butcher what they said, but it it wasn't like we make a thing some people want to use. It was like, there are so much, so many ways this can work and so much demand for it that we're saying no to people basically. And it sounds like that's, maybe you're not quite there, but it's very easy to see how you go from where you are to where you're like, there are five different ways I can make this work. And the challenge is finding the best one, not will this work? Yes or no. Uh, I totally agree. Yeah. I feel, feel it. Um, and the, the crazy thing is you have to recall, like I have not marketed this, like this is, this is a um, LinkedIn post or three, and then some outreach to maybe fifty to a hundred of people in my network that have gotten us to this point. I'm 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 let I'm a little terrified of what's going to happen when when I really start in October reaching out to people. Remind me, what's your goal for the end of the year? Like, or do you have a goal for revenue base, or anything like that? Yeah, ba- base is seventy five uh, clients, and stretch is one hundred fifty clients. Which translates to three to six thousand dollars in revenue monthly. Monthly, so that's that's like roughly ramen profitable for you. Yeah, I, I guess mean, your your lifestyle's above that right now. But yeah, like if you uh, were twenty two years old, fresh out of college, that'd be ramen profitable. And what does ramen pro- ramen profitable means? Like you can live, you can eat ramen for every meal. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. yeah, you can pay like basic expenses. You, it, I think it's used to basically mean you're default alive. You could continue this for as long as you need to. Yes, I will be de- the, the the whether I hit seventy five clients or one hundred fifty clients. That that is the goal by the end of this year is to be default alive. I like that better than Ramen Propo. Default alive. Yeah, we will be default alive uh, January first if we get seventy five or more clients. Great. Seems like you're on on good track for that. Oh yeah. Yep. We by the way, I have thirty five users currently after cleaning up the database. Real users. Hmm. That's kind of cool. So th- this is not people that you're the broker of these are people who like have an account with their insurance information entered. Mm-hmm. Nice. No, that, that have an account that may or may not have their insurance information entered. Okay. Gotcha. There's sort of like three stages. One is they create an account. The second is they add a policy. And the third is that they added a, po- they added a policy and made us the agent on that policy. Cool. What else is going on? I think that's, 
Okay, the only other thing, and this is related to the point, I just want to share it because it's kind of exciting. In the last week, I've had three new signups without talking to people um, who found us via word of mouth. One of the people is uh, is the per- person I just mentioned um, who heard about us from a guy who heard about us from a guy. Um, the other two I haven't talked to yet, but they've signed up and gone through the entire quoting process, meaning they have selected a plan. They haven't bought, like they haven't moved, they purchased it yet, but they've gone all the way through coming to the website, creating an account, adding their existing policy, and then shopping to replace it, which uh, hasn't happened before. Yeah, that's awesome. So. I'll leave it. That's a, that's my other win. I'll leave it. And that's that. kind of the easiest money you can get. Like someone could, in theory, just buy a policy online using your basically affiliate link or whatever they call it. And you get just as much money from that person as someone who calls you up and needs a personal consultation and all that. Yep. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. That's it. that's it for my updates. Should we? You've got other topics on the list here that are probably more relevant than talking about my smart home. <laughs> Okay, I will go through them really quickly. They're mostly shout-outs and rants. First, uh, first shout-out is I wrote some notes on the Infinite Game recently. Um, it's a book by Simon Sinek. It's it's one of those books that honestly probably could have been a pamphlet, but um, there are some really valuable insights in there around uh, how the predominant shareholder supremacy theory has come to fruition and how and some challenges to that and what you know and based on history that i highly recommend the book and i just i appreciated reading that because it it gives some words to a lot of the things that we're trying to talk about on this podcast relating to building companies to last and so just if you haven't read the infinite game i highly recommend it um you probably read the first like third and be pretty good and if you want the cliff notes um check out uh, then just email me and I'll send you my notes. Um, the second one is I wanted to, there's a company in Utah called intro. It's a subset of, it's a, it's a brand owned, I believe by indie.vc, which is a boot, a, 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 a alternative sort of a, a funding vehicle for, uh, mostly bootstrappers, I believe, but, um, earnest, like it's, it's very similar to earnest capital is, is how I understand it. But uh, they've started a new product called Intro. My friend Jason is is running that, and they just added um, a non dilutive fu- funding section. And the the concept of Intro is you create an Intro account, and uh, and, and sort of like integrate your financial systems. And Intro helps make introductions to non um, dilute non dilutive funding sources and dilutive funding sources. Um, but they specifically added a section this week on grants, um, helping to facilitate, uh, the, the finding of grants for your business, non-dilutive grants and the application process for non-dilutive grants. And it was, this was something we talked about early in the podcast episode as I was starting my business and, um, realized, like I went through the grant process and I just totally gave up because it was like, this isn't worth my time, but the, I just want to applaud intro for coming at this. Um, with a, uh, Hey, let's, let's make it easier for entrepreneurs to access. Let's, let's make it easier for the capital, non-dilutive capital providers to, to meet qualified, um, you know, non-dilutive capital seekers. And I really appreciate what they're doing. Yeah. It seems really cool, partially because it's a way 
like when when you and I talked, we were like, well, what are all the options out there? And there wasn't a good way to figure that out. But the other thing I find really interesting about it, uh, so IndieVC is doing intro, and then Earnest Capital has, I'm spacing on the name, they also have a thing uh, that basically prior to raising money, you can sign up and start putting your info in. And both of these have the same basic idea, which is instead of the founders, the entrepreneurs chasing down and having a separate relationship with every single source of funding out there, it's put your information in here and it's it's almost like LinkedIn. It's like, here's my profile, here, here's my revenue, or I don't know what numbers they're collecting. And then in, in the case of intro, that'll match them with NDVC. In the case of, or, or that'll match them with any number of sources. In the case of Ernest, that's like when you want to apply, my understanding is you just hit a button. You don't have to, you know, network with Ernest Capital and get a, a pitch meeting or whatever. You just say, I've got my info in there, hit this button. That's my application. And I love this idea that it, it's kind of shifting power back to the entrepreneurs a little bit. Totally. Yeah, you got it. And uh, so I, I haven't signed up. I've got an intro account, but you know, I'm, I'm interested to watch that product develop. I'm, I have to, I'll have to check out the NDVC or the uh, Ernest Capital version of this. Yeah, I wish I could. I want to say it's called like Trailhead or something like that, but I'm probably getting that wrong. Dude, you're you're supposed to know this stuff as a. Uh, I as know. Is a, a? Are you technically an LP? I I think I'm an LP. If if the, oh, Trailhead, it's called Trailhead. I I knew this. I'm an expert. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yes, I think I'm an LP. I actually I should have given this as an update. I um. They're doing a series of uh, what you call like mastermind sessions that are like each one is kind of run by a quote unquote mentor. And so I'm, I'm a mentor in one of these mastermind sessions. So a, if anyone's interested in joining a mastermind, I think there is some sort of fee associated with it. I, I don't know. I think it's small, but I don't know. Uh, check out the founder summit mastermind thingy. I bet a Google search will turn that up, but also I'm preparing for uh, running this. It's, it's a time box thing. So it's like an eight week mastermind session. I really like the idea of putting a time limit on it. Because my biggest problem with masterminds in the past is you start it and then it's just like, okay, do I have to do this for the rest of my life? Um, with this one, it's once a week for eight weeks and then it's over. Uh, it seems like it'll be pretty cool. I think I can't wait to hear about that. Are you going to be able to, usually those things are pretty confidential. Are you going to be able to share any macro learnings or observations or is that going to be too too difficult to do? I haven't heard anything from them on, I mean, obviously I wouldn't give any specifics about what anyone in it says, but one thing I I'm sure I'll be able to share is like how the sessions are actually being run, which I think could be kind of interesting. Cause you know, you and I had a whole podcast episode in the past about how to run a mastermind. Uh, I'll definitely be able to share that. And then certainly I, I'm guessing I'll learn all kinds of things like here's, you know, here's a trend that's going on or whatever. And, um, you know, just like anytime you talk to anyone in a business networking type of environment, you can't share the specifics, but you can learn and share what you know, kind of more generally. Cool, cool. Um, all right, well, that's awesome. I'm glad you're doing that. I, I like that you're doing that. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> I have a slight. What else? You got more here. I have one more thing, and I hesitate even saying it, but I just I'm hoping that maybe just saying it one more time will make me feel better. Webflow has these strange limitations, the strangest things. And they, they, they seem like these things that I don't know. I'm not a developer, but they're like these little things that could like, that, that the, like their most important users would benefit from. 
that like that someone should just like take some time to just go fix because it's a big, big pain point for like some really vocal probably users. I ran into one of those. There's two that I ran into this week, but I'm only going to rant about one of them. And that is in Webflow, um, you know, they have like any no code website content management system, an auto generated sitemap. But in every, just about every other CMS, you can, you know, select pages uh, that you want not to be indexed or, or not to include in the sitemap. Um, that is not an option with Webflow. So you have to basically include everything or include nothing and manually create a sitemap, which with all of their functionality just to me is, seems crazy. And because I have my application data um, and in some of, you know, in my user data, um, not, not data, but I have pages that are, uh, you know, I have one collection that is specific to users, meaning I've got info. I don't want anyone else to know what those URLs are. Um, I can't use the auto-generated sitemap. So I'm really pissed about that. Yeah. These aren't secret pages though, right? Like they're still publicly available. The link could get out and it wouldn't be the end of the world. Yeah, the link we could get out, but they like they, they would not be accessible, and no data is just displayed um, on the page. So, but but it's like it's just one of those clean things. Like I don't mm-hmm. just no. Yeah, I think one of Webflow's issues from you know a lot more about them than I do, but who are they for? Like, what are they really doing? Because I think there's back to the product market fit thing. There, there's five paths, and I think right now they're kind of going down all of them. Like if you look at their pricing, for example, their pricing drives me crazy. It's so convoluted and hard to understand. And the big reason for that is a lot of their pricing is designed around the idea of agencies building websites for clients, which makes a certain amount of sense if that's what you're doing. But then you look at it from a different lens and it's got nothing to do with agencies. It's this no code solution. And then you look at it from a different lens and it's this, uh, you know, kind of WordPress alternative. I I don't really know what their goal is with Webflow. Do you? Fair question. I I think it's, I don't know. That's a fair question. I think you're absolutely right. Um, hopefully they'll figure it out. But maybe like they could just add the auto-generate, just add one tab on every, on every page. It just says uh, exclude from sitemap and I could check it. Um, that would be awesome. Yeah. I, t- in their defense though, it, our, my customers could say this about me where it's like, there's just this one thing I need. And it's like, yeah, but I've got 23,000 of you and each one of you has a different one thing you need, you know? You know, like on those product roadmaps where it's like, you, you, or, or sort of product strategy frameworks where it's like, th- these are like the must-haves. These are the like exciting things. And these are the things that are like super expensive, but not really important at all. And you want to focus on those first two. This seems to be one of the must-haves that they don't have. And I just, I'm sorry, I, I'm having trouble letting it go. Well, it's a must-have to you, but presumably there are smart people at Webflow who have looked at it and are like, this is not the feature that most of our customers are demanding, right? That, that Totally, totally. I agree. I'm not, it's, it, it, there are it's other features. There, there are these other features that I would be willing to say, you're right on. But this feature when I like, it's so like basic for like a CMS to automate a fucking sitemap that yeah. like you shouldn't like you should have control over that. 
like it's it's like it's such a base feature of a CMS. I don't know. I, I, I totally agree. I, so, I've run into similar issues with Webflow where so I'm not the one doing our Webflow project. Eunice on our team is. And but I meet with her every other week and we talk through stuff and I'm like, well, how do we do this? And she's like, well, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty critical SEO thing for us to do. And it's like, well, there are these worker. What one of these? Oh, yeah, I remember what it was for me. They Their URL structure doesn't support capital letters. Yep. And I was just like, well, OK, we have a lot of capital letters in our current URLs. So surely there's a way then since they won't let us keep those URLs, there's a way to do 301 redirects from our old URLs to the new ones just based on capitalization, right? If someone goes to a URL with capital letters since they don't support them, redirect and nope, no way to do that. So yes, anyway, I've I've run into similar issues where it's like this seems pretty fundamental. I'm gonna go and complain about the other one and then I'll be done. Uh, okay. so the other one is when you restore a backup. So collect you know how Webflow has collections and this is collections are basically the um if you want to build a blog or any sort of repurposable um, content pages that take that basically use field data to populate the unique pages. You use a, what's called a collection. It's basically a database uh, for pages. But uh, here's the crazy thing. So when you do a lot of the no code stuff, you reference what are called collection IDs and collection item IDs so that you can send data to and from Webflow to other apps, to whatever app you're using. Um, so when you restore backup, all of the IDs get reset. So like, like if you like, if you're like, um, oh crap, I want to go back to, a, uh, I screwed up some, something I, I was cranking away. I want to go back to like the saved version from last night. You click that button, all of the collection IDs get reset and all of your integrations break. <laughs> Yikes. So like, I assume when you say they get reset, uh, these are auto incrementing IDs. So one, two, three, four. Let's say you've used four. If you do a backup, the first one becomes five, six, seven, eight. They're randomly generated numbers so of oh. like uh, forty digits. I don't know. Like oh, okay. So so I I mean I don't know how they're doing it, but it seems crazy to like go it's back. Not to a, a real backup. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get why they're doing that. And so now look, I'm like soup. I had no idea why my, my zap ears were, my zaps were breaking. And then I finally figured out it was because I restored a backup and I'm like, okay, I'm never hitting that. Ba- I do everything possible to hit that backup button again, because mm-hmm. if I hit that backup restore button means I got to go figure out how to re relabel all of the ideas and all my um, automations. Yeah, that's, that's problematic. That suggests to me that it's not actually doing a backup. It's reinserting. It's like referencing the backup and then reinserting stuff rather than updating existing information, which I can imagine why you do that. But yeah, that causes real problems. <laughs> yep. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so anyway, um, the solution to the auto generate, I can't decide on the solution to the auto generated sitemap thing. Is it, is it to, I like, I probably the best solution is to move my, app to a different subdomain and a web separate webflow account so I, I can just use the auto-generated thing but man like it's the last thing i want to do right now yeah it's funny because in a weird way you're ending up in a similar situation to me which is i have www.lessonwingserum.com and i for a decade had that and now i'm saying okay we've got to move the app to app.lacrm and 
www will be marketing site. Even though both of yours are going to be on Webflow, you still kind of have, this is the marketing site, this is public pages that anyone can go to, versus this is the app where SEO doesn't matter, you're not trying to get a sitemap up for it. Could you just switch to URL parameters for the data? Like, I assume you've got, what you mean is you've got some page that's like your website slash users slash username or something like that. Yeah, the data isn't the problem. It's the page. And I just, I don't want the URL to be indexed. It's a simple request. So like, no matter how I'm passing the data around, I don't want that page to be indexed, period. Well, you can stop it from being indexed with the robots.txt. You I don't want, want it, it to be a secret. I want it to be a secret. I don't want it to show, I don't want someone to be able to go to my sitemap and see these pages. I just don't. I, I get that. But I'm saying if you used a URL parameter instead, so if you said like, whatever the URL is in Am I understanding correctly that you've got a different page for each user? That's not it? Yeah, we have a different page for each user. Okay. So instead of giving each of them their own URL, you could have one URL and then say question mark user ID equals blah, blah, blah. Those would all get listed as one single page in the sitemap. Um, yeah, that's, I, I don't believe that's possible um, with this, but it could be. Okay. Anyway, I realize you're not looking for solutions. You're looking to event, which... I yeah. Oh no, I, I kind of moved into solution mode. So anyway, um, I think uh, I'm not going to worry about it right now. I'm just going to do the manual site map and let SEO falter. And hopefully maybe they'll either fix this or I find a better way to do what I'm doing, or I just bite the bullet and transition the app to a new Webflow to, uh, instance. Yeah. All right. Well, keep us posted. All right. Smart home. So what, what do you want to talk about here? Because I love smart home stuff. Do you have like... Smart and let's define what we're talking about here. Like it's also called the Internet of Things. So it's rather than it, it could be a lock on your door or a thermostat or a security system, but it's a bunch of different devices in your house that connect to the internet, and you can kind of like control them from your phone or whatever. Do you have this type of thing? Yep. Uh, what, do you, what are you doing? I, I got lock, door locks with Duello. Um, let's see, air conditioning on Duello. Uh, air, Alexa's in every room. Uh, lights that turn on and off with voice commands. Let's see. What else do we have? I think those are the main things. Okay. So you're pretty, for, for an apartment dweller, you're pretty loaded up on these. I've never done this in an apartment before. Cause I'm like, I don't own any of this. I'm not going to invest money in like changing the locks or anything like that. Would you consider a uh, Sonos to be a smart home? Like I have Sonos speakers in every room. Yeah. Ish. Yeah, that's like a gateway drug, I think. Yeah, oh, I love my set of speakers. Oh, I love them. So I'm starting to since we bought a house, I'm starting to think like, should we do this stuff? Garage door opener, you know, all, all these possible things. Um, my constraints are: I don't want Amazon or Google involved, and I don't particularly care about voice control. Um, both Shelley and I both are. We do not want to like install surveillance devices in our house. Now, all of these things kind of are shady but those two in particular i'm nervous about so i'm trying to figure out though like what the right approach is because there's a million different options out there and like is do you have a hub or anything like that or are you just opening up one app to control your locks and a different app to control well sonos for example and a different app to control something else um let's see alexa is what i use for most things if I can get it into Alexa, which is not an option for you if you don't want to use Amazon. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 
usually that's probably the hub that I would use. Google Home has a similar function, but I, it sounds like you don't want to use Google. Um, yeah, and I, I personally just hate voice command also. So like the, the okay. main value proposition they're offering doesn't appeal to me either. Yeah, so I have a, an app for, if I were going to use the apps, I have a, an app for um, Philips Hue, which are the lights. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an app for Wemo, which is um, a plugs. So Wemo builds these little like switches that you, these electronical switches that you plug into an outlet and they convert your outlet to a smart outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a Duello app, which is um, door locking and uh, thermostat control. Um, it, they may be able to do other things, but those are the only features I have enabled. Okay. But you, you're controlling them all through voice primarily. What if you're well, not home? Like you, I, you no, I use the apps. I use the you apps. Do? Okay. Yeah. The, I was going to say there's, we have some stuff at, we have some surveillance at Bear Lake, um, that, uh, so three cameras on the outside of the house cause we're not there. And that, that, that is, uh, through, gosh, I can't remember the name, but it's a great app. Okay. So my understanding of like the ecosystem here is you have kind of smart home devices and then you have smart home hubs. The devices don't actually connect to the hubs, really. The hubs just push out commands to all of them. So you could potentially use multiple hubs at once. Like you could you could have an Alexa and you could have I'm forgetting all of the names of the I think Wink. Wink is one of these hubs. I had that tab open. Um so you'd, you'd get some sort of hub, and then you control everything through that hub. It could be voice command. It could be on an app. And then you get whatever devices you want, and they all connect through the hub. And so assuming the hub works with the devices, you don't need to be brand loyal with the actual devices. Is, is, does that match up with your experience? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I probably would focus... When I bought all this stuff, which has been year, like over the course of a lot of years, you know... <laughs> I don't, I don't believe hubs are here to stay yet. I think that there's going to be more innovation on apps than there are. I'm, I'm not concerned about the hub. I don't mind having a, a, a group of apps that are my smart home apps that have Apple folder work as a hub for me on my phone um, yeah. and just manage each app individually. So I'm just, I'm just foc- I focus on finding the best uh, device um, and just not operating it manually. What's the advantage of a hub? So, one is you get to control everything through one app, which I think has some merits, but I think the much bigger thing is it allows you to build automation or something something like that where you could say, I'm home. I was at work. Now I'm home. What does that mean? It means open the garage, turn on the lights, lower the blinds, whatever these things are, but they're all different devices that you want to control through one action rather than going to like open five different apps and do them all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you can do that with, you're doing that with Alexa right now, I guess. No, all my automations are handled through the individual apps. So for example, lights, I just have a light schedule um, that I have in there. Um, on the, I, I don't know what we do with the air conditioning, but there's some sort of schedule there. Um, I don't know. I haven't used the come home, go away stuff, but yeah. I see your point. A part of me feels silly doing any of this because I never leave now <laughs> since, you know, I'm working from home. Uh, so maybe I'll just wait. but. The the reason this is somewhat urgent is like Shelly really wants a security system as soon as we can get it. And we got one of these like dedicated security systems like where that they were a security company first and then they sort of added smart home stuff as an add on. But it sucks. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, I don't, I'm not happy with that as our smart home hub. So now I have to figure out like kind of piece together a security system that's not meant to be that. I love Wink. I'm looking at it right now. Um, One thing I really like about it is I like the motion sensors. Um, I really like the shades. The the the, the automated the blinds would be automated awesome. Blinds, uh, that's great. Um, I like how they have uh, the, there's some integrated switches which I haven't seen before. Um, yeah, so some of these hubs, yeah, you can replace a light switch with a screen and like control stuff and play music and anyway. I'm gonna okay. get uh, the the ring door. Uh, do you have a ring doorbell? That's Amazon. That's you have any? That's Amazon. Yeah. Do, well, do, I'm, I'm going to get ha- some sort of doorbell like that, but I'm that, not that's, get a ring. I highly recommend that. I want one of those really badly. Um, it's going to be really useful for our condo, our new place because um, it'll be facing the outside right now. We're not on the outside, so I don't really worry about it, but um, it'll be great for business too. It's amazing how safe apartments feel. Not that I'm, I'm not someone who tends to feel unsafe, but Shelly is more than I am like in a house you know, it's, it's just up to you in an apartment. You're like, there's, there's this whole infrastructure surrounding my place that, you know, someone, someone would have to get through before they get to me. (laughs) Do you have a, uh, do you have a smart like scale? Like when you weigh yourself in the morning? No, I've thought about that, but some of these smart devices, I feel like aren't really solving a problem for me. Like smart refrigerators. Like I don't, I, I don't need that. I don't think, but, uh, no, I don't. Cool. I'm, I'm looking at all these different things that they have. What are the, uh, I have a, another question, which is, are there any devices that you found that were really interesting? Not yet, really. I'm, I'm still in research mode, so maybe I'll give an update later. I realize this has nothing to do with <laughs> starting up to last, but uh, I'll, I'll let you know whenever I figure out what I'm doing. I just wanted to talk about it to like make sure my understanding of the the way like hub and then devices connecting to it meshes with your experience. Um, yeah. The only thing I'd add is I was looking at their site. Um, Sonos does have a smart speaker now, so you could go Sonos if you don't want to stick with. If I can rant for a second, I have some Sonos devices and I think it's the worst internet of things experience I've, I've had. I, I just think Sonos's UX is, is awful. I hate it. Their UX is not great, but their speakers are awesome. Yeah. I still use them, but oh, I, I just want to like go in there and be like, here are three changes you can make to your app that aren't even technical. It's just like where the buttons are that do would make it. this so much better. <laughs> Will you please do that? They probably would would do it because they... No, I, I don't think they would listen to me. <laughs> They're a big company. <laughs> anyway. Okay, cool. Thanks for humoring me there. <laughs> Anything else you want to cover today? I don't think so. I'll be back at work next week, so I'll I'll have some more topics to bring, presumably. Awesome. I'm going to uh, uh, take the the weekend off, so hopefully I'll be rested next week too. Yeah, enjoy. All right. Um, Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See you.